So good morning, Samantha. How are you today? Good morning, Dominic. I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? Well, I am very well and I'm very excited also because we have Devon Spence coming in from Soldo today. I know, amazing. So what are you hoping to get from um, today to add to the Unicorn Project? I think scale-ups, and they're obviously a very impressive scale-up, offer just a wealth of riches in terms of what they're going through. There are a thousand competing priorities. They have to deal with various different components of what their marketing looks like, their sales look like, how they're doing their human resources. There are just so many things they're competing with. And I think these guys are obviously doing an incredible job, have done some amazing fundraising. And now they must be facing a lot of really interesting cultural challenges, marketing and marketing challenges and also just challenges around where the business is going it'll be really interesting to see what she's got to say about those things yeah it will now interestingly it's called unicorny because this is about drawing lessons that everyday people can use and soldo of course isn't an everyday business but but they but they are going to have challenges that i think our listeners will be able to relate to oh totally absolutely i think that also you know if you're a scale up of a different scale listening to what the scale ups that are bigger than you are doing is really invaluable because everyone's just looking for that insight into how you do a little bit better it's marginal gains isn't it a small thing here a small thing there yeah I i think also that one of my problems with the existing literature is it's all retro-engineered and what we're about to hear is live. Yeah, yeah it's so in action. Just closed Series C, yeah. 180 million, I yeah, think, yeah. Series C. So what we're about to hear is live. From the battlefield. From the battlefield. <laughs> Let's go listen. Unicorns. They're supposed to be rare, but they seem to be everywhere. Now, like you, I suspect, I devour business and marketing books. But if you've noticed, more and more of them use the same reference material, and they retrofit the strategies and tactics they're espousing to unicorns. Well, you know what? I'm bored of reading about unicorns. So what if Amazon thinks back to front? Why is it relevant to me that Steve Jobs started with why? Google, Facebook, Netflix, those guys, you know, it's not where I live professionally and it doesn't inform my future. So I thought, why don't I do something about it? Why not create a body of reference material that ordinary marketers like me can contribute to and learn from? That is Unicorning. So we're very lucky today to be joined by Devon Spence from Soldo. Hi, Devon. Hello. You're very welcome to Unicorny, and we've got some really interesting things to talk today uh, to, to you today about. Um, why don't you start by giving us an introduction to Soldo itself? I would love to, but first of all, just to say thank you for having me. This is super exciting, and um, it's great to be here and to share my experiences. Uh, so I'm the head of PR at Soldo. Uh, what is Soldo? It's effectively a prepaid card solution uh, for money from, from small business right through to some of our biggest clients such as Gymshark and uh, Mercedes-Benz. So what does that look like? If you are a team and you're scaling, you're growing, you have costs, you've got to pay for things like events, you've got to pay for media, you're going to pay for conferences. And this just gives you a really easy to use card and app um, just to make that whole process a lot more easier. If you are a finance manager or if you are a CFO, you've got lots of different invoices coming in and out of your business. This way with an app, you can see exactly what the cash flow is. So we know that customers, um, our customers will probably save about 2% on revenue share each year and maybe 30 days per person within the organization on manual expense days, which is the biggest problem that we're trying to solve. So super interesting company, just been through Series C and it's a wonderful time to be the head of PR for such a a great tech company. Fabulous. And um, very competitive market space. Fintech seems to be on everyone's lips at the moment. I mean, look, it's super competitive. We've seen the VC numbers, uh, you know, the Series A's that we are seeing are literally incredible. A Series A looks like a Series C now. Uh, So the competition is huge. So our competition includes the likes of Tide that have like expense management. Virgin just came out with expense management. Also, we've got Plio and Spendesk who play in the spend management sector. But what we're doing is quite new niche a lot of people don't know we have the problem and I think in fintech if you can describe the problem that you're trying to solve um, in easy to understand language it's much more easier to get you know that whole you know share of wallet and and what are what are Solo's key points of differentiation yeah I think that we know business like no other 
So a lot of companies come to us from Series A and then they go through to Series C and we scale with them. We know what they need. We know what finance teams need. We know what CFOs need. I think CFOs right now, they are, and CCOs, they are the new rock stars. It's not just the CEO anymore for a fintech company. You need to have an amazing team around you. And our product appeals directly to those people. We know exactly what they need and we speak their language. And that's what sets us out from the competition. That's pretty cool. Our CFO would love that. Really? <laughs> to be yeah. a rock star? I always tell I my CFO. I think you quite like to be a rock star physically anyway, too, actually. Yeah. I think there's something, there's some edge in that. Definitely. <laughs> but I think it's just wonderful because it's just not... Also, I think when you're a founder CEO, that level of buy-in, that passion, yeah. that emotional and stress investment is so much higher than everybody else. You need that team around you. You really do. They make such a difference, don't they? And it's so interesting what you say about the CFO being the new rock star, because I think now people are starting to see deals like the Gymshark deal who you mentioned. And immediately one of our um, kind of smaller businesses that are doing their round A at the moment said to me, who did that deal? Get me the team for that deal. And suddenly he's like, who was the CFO? Who were the finance people? And, th- and this is a guy who's like an inventor. He's not really interested in this at all. But suddenly it's like, okay, the, sh- the spotlight is shone on that industry right now so much. Yeah, it's super interesting. If you think about 10 years ago, like the lights of the Monzos, the yeah, go-cardless, really you know, industry. everyone coming out of that Y incubator and then going crazy, we've kind of got this class that's all graduating now and it's you know, are those valuations real? Yeah. Is there are, is there a little bit of overhype? Do we have a tech bubble? Yeah. So I think there is a massive spotlight on the fintech from an investment perspective, innovation perspective, but also, you know, are the VCs throwing a bit too much money at it? Yeah. I think that's what people are having to be mindful about. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And how that fits in. Do you do quite a lot of kind of PR and press and publicity around your your funds raising or do yeah. you leave that alone? We, well, we just had the Series C and we worked really closely with the VC teams and with the PRs within those VC right, teams. Right, 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 right. And, you know, you would think, well, they're investing in so many companies they don't have time for me. And actually what they love, if, if people want to have something to take away, reach out to your VC PRs. They are getting tons of opportunities virtual panels conferences being in the room with the hottest c-suite probably at some of the companies you're trying to target work with them i think that can be a really successful thing for you to do gives you more visibility that Um, makes so much sense as well because classically vcs are so unsexy in their own way you know so it's like you add a little bit of sex appeal to it and you're game to do some things and suddenly the vcs are seeing themselves in places they wouldn't expect and everyone's winning reputationally and it helps to bolster all kind of all sides of the conversation yeah i love what you've just said and you know we found that we were getting on more lists you know top 20 places to work and it was because people were seeing the commentary from that third party validation which which is the vc and we we need that it can't just be me telling you that we're great you want to hear and dawn capital telling you how great we are so i think definitely working with vcs is super important yeah it's hard though isn't it when you're doing the the fundraising and, and businesses scale some of them so quickly especially in the fintech space it's almost astronomical where they can go from in the space of you know five, six months. Um, and I wonder if that's, that's, that is really challenging from a comms perspective, isn't it? When you suddenly have got on your hands a beast that started out as a piglet and, you know, and, and <laughs> suddenly you've got a real, it's like buying a micro pig and actually it was a real pig and you're just stuck like, okay, fine. <laughs> Why have you put that in my head? I literally have pigs in my head now. This is going wrong. Again. You know, this is not what I expected. But Sorry, it's actually so it's, it's a really it's a really good comparison because it's kind of you know what you were I was sold in on a promise that this business was growing and it is. We just had 180 million investment. Um but also you now are responsible for taking that company to the next level, yeah. delivering on your promise, but also delivering on that promise that your CEO has just made quite publicly about where the company is going to go. Yeah. So that actually can be a good thing because it makes you hungry. You know, you've got to get the business to that next level. It's a great kind of piece of momentum that you can have. Um, people have seen the funding round news and they want to talk to you. Yeah. So you have yeah. to be ready, yeah. have to be ready with the next stop. You can't talk about the funding round for the next six months. You have no. to talk about other things. So we're talking about products that we are launching. So we just launched the Google Pay 
um, integration. And that basically means, you know, if you've got your Sodo card, uh, you can use that to travel on the underground, for example. Yes, you can use it to purchase up to £100, but it's almost like a card that you can use. And with the whole remote world, we feel that that hybrid business model is something that we can support. So that's one thing. We're also out there talking about the fact that we're trying to hire people, right? That's Absolutely. And that internal employer brand is so crucial, isn't it? Yes. And also the type yes. of employees that come in at the ground floor level yes. versus the type of employees that you need at the mid-stage. The, it, it changes. It really changes. And you get yes. to that point where you start out needing wildly dynamic, completely sort of you know, push hard people who are going to get in on the dream and be there when it's really, really tough and when the shit is down and they're, you know, they need to get in it with it. But then you need after that a really great culture made up of people who are hard workers, who are buy into the vision, but aren't necessarily the, the, those hustlers. Yeah. You don't need everyone in the business to be a hustler. No. It would be unmanageable. It would be. And, you know, we spoke earlier about the pace and I think yeah. you're so right. You do need people that are going to hustle for you, but you also do need people that are going to slow things down. You know, yeah. we spoke about this yeah, totally. running after things, which happens a lot in scale ups. Just and chasing it. 100%. Yeah. I don't know if you find that things can be quite short termism because everybody's Absolutely. focused on it's my biggest leads fight and sales. <laughs> it's, and that's really hard, yeah. isn't it? And in a scale up, because obviously most businesses, leads versus sales yeah. versus brand awareness and brand positioning. For a lot of brands, that's a big problem. But for a scale up, yeah. you, you know, to, to go to another strange analogy, you're a teenager who just shot up six yeah. inches and you're like, you know, you don't know what, what, what shoes fit anymore. So you suddenly yeah. that, uh, that whole thing of uh, generating leads and sales becomes so important because you've got yes. the investment. But equally, you you know, you have got that that task of protecting the brand, growing yeah. the brand. And I wonder how is that internally in terms of conversations? Do you have a really receptive kind of board who likes com- comms generally? Do they yeah. get it? Because I think that makes such a difference. Yeah, you know, I think you're right what you've said about, you know, the leads, etc. Then you've got the brand awareness. And without brand awareness, you don't get leads. And exactly. that's the conversation that we're actually having in our business right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, we need to make sure that the runway is healthy. We need to make money. But we also need a longer term plan for the brand. If we just focus on the next 30 days every time, you're not going to get the growth you mm-hmm. need. You're mm-hmm. not going to get the brand awareness. So I think, yes, definitely having that relationship with the C-suite, showing the value that you bring as a comms person, showing yourself as an expert that they can understand and respect Mm -hmm. and appreciate. You might sometimes come to them and show them something else. I might say, well, look what's happening in this sector. This is how they've achieved this story. And this is why, this is why this is working. Just wanted to let you know, or, you know, today we've got this Plio, one of our competitors, they're on CNBC. This is how they've landed this story. These are the numbers that we would need to release from our business to have the same sort of presence. So yeah, you need to be able to influence the C-suite 100%. So it's quite a learning curve for a lot of them often, isn't it? It really is. And so many times a business is started by a founder who's wildly impassioned, has this dream to, you know, put pink cherries on top of every bus or whatever it is and that's all they focus on all of the time and then you have to get them to look up and look around them and it's so about communication isn't it internal communication and you know being on the same page and that can be really challenging yeah I think you're absolutely right and not being a yes person is part of who I am you know I have 10 years in banking you're right we don't we don't say say you just can't say yes to everything and Madonna famously said I'm successful because I don't surround myself with yes people people say no we can't do that and this is why and I might not always get my way or I might not always be able to set my influence but if I can give you the reasons there's three reasons why I wouldn't do this yeah and if you really want to if you really care about this I would go with this yeah and then you're going to get this. And yeah. if you don't like it, we can test this. Yeah. So I think having that flexible approach, but then also you, know, you can't win everything. So no. sometimes it's going to be battles. no. And that's Is that a good, that's a key fine. takeaway, I would say, right? So yeah. know that you're not going to win every battle. Pick those battles. Yeah. And I think as long as, as well as the business having a sort of short term, long term, you have to have that for yourself, yes. don't you? That's really yeah. important, not necessarily just in terms of career growth, yeah. but Am I fighting this battle today or am I letting this one go? Yeah. Because in three weeks time, I'm going to really need this. And and you've got to think strategically when you're growing so quickly, haven't yeah. you? I really like that. And I think you've got to be strategic. You've got to be neutral. And you've also got to check your ego at the door, right? Sometimes I have to be like, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you so upset about this thing? It's not your, <laughs> it is my company, but it's not your company. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if somebody doesn't want to do a certain thing or they're saying six months, let it be. 
wait for the six months. So I think you've got to focus on, as you said, what are the top three things that we want to achieve yeah. to scale this company? Yeah. What, who do I need in the business to help me to do that? Yeah. Find those people, make them your best friend, feed <laughs> yeah. them, go for coffees, take them for a nice lunch, you know, do what you need yeah. to win and influence those relationships and keep building. And I think also with a scale up with money is so under the microscope yeah show i mean you must in your agency show the value of what you're bringing yeah, yeah. and how do you do that how because because it takes us on to that really interesting question about measurement yeah which we all love to hate yes. and have to love i know um, and you, i'm always obsessive about trying to find more metrics that are demonstrative yeah. of something that isn't just a hundred thousand views or whatever yeah. because what does that mean everybody what does it mean so how do you demonstrate value what what are the things that for you you utilize as kind of measurement tools that are impactful for the c-suite yeah okay and then i want to compare with yours because okay. i think and that'll be really interesting because you see a lot of requests yes. from different companies and everyone measures ha- things totally differently exactly yeah, so for me i try and keep it simple let's focus on like what the kpis are yes so we had 150 percent increase in media volume over the last year Amazing. um so we have smashed the kpi in the first quarter that's great but obviously nobody wants to hear that they want to see what else you're doing. So I will look at things like backlink creation. Mm -hmm. You know, how many stories that are great, tier one, that are bringing people back to Soldo. I I like to look at backlink creation. I also like to speak to our growth team and say, okay, I launched Google Pay um, two days ago. Can you show me the web? Yeah, let me see the data. data. Sometimes you get a 30% uptick. I'll take that. That's my 30%. Yeah. Right? (laughs) So, and I think also... When you're delivering these numbers, uh, whether it's key messages that were hit yep. or if, it, like you were saying, impressions um, or the kind of publication sentiment, yep. I always try and use language that my audience likes to use. So yeah. I talk about things like revenue. You know, I talk about things like 100%. visibility. Yeah, speak to them in their, in their language. language, and that's a really good yeah. thing, isn't it? For, I think for marketers generally, there's often this disconnect in terms of how you yeah. communicate. And I think the quicker you understand how that person or that group of people needs to be spoken to and how they see the numbers, we have this with clients all the time. Wow, where stuff doesn't go, you know, gets to the C-suite, and then they're like, "What does this mean? Yeah, this is, I don't understand this." And you have to really get your audience. You understand your yeah. audience in the same way that I think comes is entirely about understanding your audience fundamentally. 100%. But it's the same when you're running a marketing yeah. department. You've got to make it easier and easy for them to understand. I'd love to know how on your side you do this. Do in terms you of have measurement. like in terms of reporting and measurement yeah. or number of clicks, whatever. It'd We've be got interesting to know. Such a blend. We've got yeah. such a blend. So some clients are still stuck with ad value, even though okay. I have the conversation where I'm like, it means literally nothing. I could I could tell you how many sheets there are on a roll of toilet paper and that would be a more impactful number (laughs) but they want it so you give it to them absolutely fine I think sentiment 100% we look at NPS a lot because that's really and and I also like NPS because it gives them that more long-termist view and and you know that they love it and especially with those businesses like a like a BT or like a Bayer where that's so important for you guys do you do you track that yet or have you you all come to it yeah we've tracked it it. I'm not 100% sure if the people that are tracking it for us have got it right. That's really That's important. That's my worry. Yeah. I'm, I'm scared to send that out because once that goes out, people will start asking questions. And if I can't answer 100%. the questions, yeah. then my reporting is... And that's the crux of it, isn't yeah. it? When it comes to measurement is yeah. you need to know what you're trying to measure, but you also need to be able to verify those measurements. And that's where, you know, that's, as I said to you, we don't work with paid influencers. We yeah. just don't see the value in it. We work with advocates and we'll often work in partnership with them and find yeah. those key individuals in places that have genuine cut through. But I think we have gotten very, because the numbers made finance so comfortable, yeah. because that made them feel like, oh, okay, there's a value to that. Yeah. We, we started sticking numbers on everything okay. and, and I think it was very much that uh, that oh but, but what does it measure like how, how many what was the uplift what were the yeah. lights what the, and does that give you a picture of the no. whole because what you're missing is the human component yeah. right you take that data some of it with a big pinch of salt yeah you layer human behavior over the top of it and then you get a picture but the picture is not what finance want they want the yeah. numbers yeah so I think that's how we've gotten ourselves into this sort of yeah 
you know, report over reporting almost yeah and I think there's also you know you and I had a conversation about a high-end gym earlier yes. um, BXR and the like I, I told you about the experience that I had when I was there and yeah. I felt like I was you know they literally treated me like an athlete and yeah. it was everything was very high-end and I went away feeling amazing really good about it yeah. but you can't tie that back to a stat and all. I may or I may not become a member. Yeah. And you can't tie that back to a no, stat. exactly. So there is that feeling of that good vibe you get around the brands that at some point I will, you know. Some way, in some way, at some point I'm going to get the new Samsung. Yeah. I, I will get it. Yeah. I'm very close to it. But it's going to be difficult for them to tie back yeah. to a stat. And that's really interesting in terms of touch points, isn't it? Yeah. Because I think we all talk a lot about the funnel, which is a ridiculous thing to talk about. Yeah. And we all talk a lot about, um, you know, kind of the customer journey. What does that look like for you guys in terms of, do you, do you subscribe to a very strict model of touch points or what how do you how do you map that out for you guys because it's moving so fast right it's moving so fast and it's a really good question (laughs) and I will be transparent with you you know I was having this conversation we had like a session with our CMO and like growth team and these are the questions that we're actually asking ourselves now because I think we're recognizing that we moved at such an incredible pace we didn't have time for caretaking we just had to onboard these clients we had to hire people so now we are doing that touch point analysis what happens when you get here what happens when you go why did that customer leave there yes why did they not go through that route on the website so we are doing that analytical work now yeah yeah and I think I'm really proud that we're looking inwards Uh, yes because I think that it is it's an inside out solution it's not an outside in solution at all yeah And I think, you know, the customer experience is everything. And I think we admit that we need to hire more people. We need to have people that can speak different languages. So, you know, our German customers really feel like they're getting a fully fledged local experience as opposed to one person speaking English, one person speaking German, you know, mixed experiences. That's a really interesting challenge that you've got there as well, isn't it? Like lots of scale ups will find themselves moving into other markets very quickly. How do you manage that from a marketing perspective? Did you quickly start pulling people together from different countries or what would what would be your best advice in terms of how how do we how how you manage that that um, whole kind of scale into the other countries yeah i think it's a really good question and obviously it's something that many scale-ups are trying to do right now so we had that go cardless in my previous role where they were at series f and now we have the same with soldo what i would say is that you have to be realistic you are a very very small fish in a huge pond (laughs) and for example like a french market which is super specific yeah and french and germans they like the domestic play they like their own which is great we don't have that in this country because we don't have anything (laughs) practically no, right no, everything absolutely. is owned by everything no. else but the germans they have their things made in germany. and they are going to need a really good reason mm. particularly from a payments perspective to go somewhere else yeah for sure so you need a really strong value prop um we know that in france where we, we're trying to crack uh, we know that some of the um the features that we have do not resonate with what the audience yeah. wants yeah so is now the time to go hard and have a pr agency and you know a brand campaign 100%. if we don't have the product yeah does that make sense makes no probably sense. not no. so maybe we're going to pull back yeah. and we'll do things but we won't do everything mm-hmm. and then in germany we know we've just had a regional marketing manager so we're going to have lots of content okay. partnerships relationships i'm just going through an rfp process so i can bring bring on a pr agency yeah so we are getting ready but i would say that it takes time and you really need to know the market you also need a spokesperson a, Crucial, a german isn't it? spokesperson yeah. not a marketing person whether that be german whatever language sorry i keep focus on germany <laughs> but um it, that person has to be like a head of business yeah. or you know maybe a head of sales someone who impacts Credible. the value chain someone yeah. who has got something to say yes. and, and in terms of that because i think thought leadership is a really interesting thing yeah. and i think particularly for scale-ups yeah one of the way that you capture white space is yeah. because always it's about usps pushing product yeah. pushing product you can't keep doing that that's no. what your ppc is for like you know you have to have a positioning on various things and you have to have those thought leaders and those spokespeople to help you bring that mm-hmm. to life how do you guys um how has thought leadership worked for you? Is it something that's sort of progressing over time? Do you have a long-term approach for it? What does that look like? Because obviously there's immediate need versus long-term reputation that you've got to manage. Yeah. Um, it's a good question. I would say definitely progressing over time. Yeah, We have tested um, a couple of big reports which talk to our 
value proposition in a veiled way right. so it doesn't feel like it's pushing marketing product, product, yeah um but we haven't seen the fruits okay, of that research we're not sure you know if that costs 70k would it have been better having a half-day conference mm-hmm. with 15 potential that's super interesting. it's hard to measure like we yeah. said i yeah. think that's something that we're still looking at also the right partner yeah right do you work externally or do we need to have a leader writer mm-hmm. internally yeah. that's almost like an evangelist and it's kind of you do a, I think anyway with we what we do often with clients in that position is you do a halfway house don't you right. where you sort of wax on wax off where you start with a really great freelance agency or freelance writer and they start getting into your tone and then when you get to that point where suddenly that tipping point of no we create way too much content for this not to be in house but that's a really interesting thing for people to understand in terms of when do you start making those decisions what what precipitates what is it person first and then you goes and hunt the re- revenue or is it the other way around and so yeah. you're just completely stretched in the whole time yeah I think oh, I don't even know the answer to that that's <laughs> the honest you know that's the honest truth because I think it's going to be difficult in every organization yeah and you are just going to have to do what works for you and sometimes from a revenue perspective, it's easier to pay a consultant than to hire someone. Absolutely. So it might be that you really look after that uh, writer for a few months and then hope that you can hire them. Yeah, yeah. But I think thought leadership, it's it's challenging because I think people are bored of like playbooks and 20 page. Yeah, like big, big data. We've had, we've done in the last year or so a a lot of big reports because we do them for, you know, various different clients. But and we've struggled. Yeah. Things that two or three years ago would have been shoe-in, nice soft data stories, cute yeah. kind of consumer angle to it. And the media are just not interested. Yeah. And you've got yeah. to, so and I keep I keep saying we're in the post report era to the team and they're so sick of hearing it. But But you're doing the right thing. But that but it's it's it, that's the other thing, isn't it? Is that your landscape as a business is shifting yeah. all the time, but the media landscape yeah. is shifting all of the time. Yeah. I think you're totally right. And Look what happened to journalists in lockdown. Oh my God. Right. So they lost half their team. They had to double up on beats mm-hmm. that they didn't understand. Absolutely. They didn't get to go out and get swanky lunches anymore. Which so they we didn't all have love. a little Everyone break. Loves a lunch. I love Dom a swanky loves lunch. loves a lunch, honestly. You know, my prepaid card <laughs> is no loaded. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, not. And then just retreating and being in their homes all the I time, know, doing calls back to back with C, C suite, PR, trying to pitch. Them. All kind of nonsense. So their self care and their went up, and or maybe not, but their stress levels went up. But we were still pushing them. Yeah. So they're like, I don't want to read this. No. Don't want totally. unless it's McKinsey. I'm probably not going to read it. Yeah. So like you say, we've got to reshape what we do. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a one, two page, a max. Yeah. Three absolutely. Page, absolute max. I think we're in a sweet spot for physical at the moment as yeah. well, don't you? I think exactly as you say, in yeah. the same way that we all got shoved like rats back into our cages. <laughs> um, I think journalists were like. extra had that under on top of it and I think it's really funny because again two or so years ago getting a journalist out of the office my team used to complain to high hell that they couldn't get one out for and I'd be like but offer champagne offer like what are you what are you doing to get them out no okay but now I think we're doing a couple of things physically and I think people are like yes I'm going that would be great yeah it's like we've got plans and they like it. They it's like, like it. I'm going to do something. <laughs> so we're and... in the golden age of bringing media out, I think. Yeah. So that's that. That's a, a, a really important kind of, um, it's about working with what yeah. shifts, isn't it? Yeah. It's about being flexible and agile. And that's obviously what you guys are about, yeah. being flexible and agile. But it's bloody difficult being flexible and yeah, agile. Yeah, it is difficult because you're constantly moving. Yeah. Um, but if you're happy with that and if you know that's what you're going to get, yeah. Um, then I think you have to be at peace with it. And I think anybody that is a marketer for a scale up, you have to be at peace with uncertainty and challenge and tough conversations and be cool with it. Like it's not personal. (laughs) It's not not against you. Somebody just wants to know your opinion or somebody wants to stretch you a little bit to see if you're going to fit when everything moves around. So I think you've got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And what do you think is the biggest challenge in terms of not so much being comfortable, being uncomfortable? Because I think yeah. we, we all have to be that, yeah, don't yeah, we, for all real. the time? Yeah. It's like, otherwise, what are you doing? Yeah. But what do you think, what do you see at the moment are kind of your biggest challenges in terms of where you're at in the scaling process and what that looks like for the marketing mix? I think that with scale-ups, uh, there is often a disconnect between where the stakeholders think the business is, uh, where the market thinks the business is, and where the business 
actually is. Mm. Um, I think it's super important to look at um, look at the business through those different lenses. And that's how marketing can bring so much value yeah. to, to the C-suite. So it might mean that you are looking at where we really are versus the street and then deciding actually we need a much bigger investment. So having a sit down with your CFO, looking at budgets for the remainder of the year yeah. and maybe upping your spend just more in money. terms of more money, <laughs> of course, just in terms of getting you where you want to be because you have to remember that if your competitor already has a march on you you need to work double hard to get that position so sometimes from a storytelling perspective it is fine if if the content and the language is a bit more aspirational than it needs to be because you will be slightly behind the curve it's exciting right like that to me i think is the best thing if you're allowed to pushing just keep pushing i think so (laughs) i think you've got to push and like we're women in tech right so we have to push even harder because there are many of us and i find sometimes when you do stop pushing in those meetings other people suddenly oh they've had an idea for a long time and they've been dying to say it but they didn't feel it was the right space and then you know when one person pushes everybody else starts pushing and then it just goes up to the next level that's what you need can we talk about that for a second i'm really interested in terms of the women in tech component because i think that they're you know marketing is an industry that actually has a lot of women in it even though it is disproportionately run by men yeah um what do you think i know it's it every time Um, why are all the chefs men (laughs) they they didn't want to put a toilet seat down but they're cooking everywhere (laughs) it's just insane insane so how does uh, how how do what what would be your best advice to a woman who's moving through the marketing industry in the kind of fintech space because it's really really tough yeah i would say that first of all tech is quite simple yeah i think women and maths women and numbers women in tech we sometimes think that's not for me yeah because i don't understand all that i'm not a geek i'm not an engineer you don't need to be yeah you just need to understand simple things like tech makes life easier Mm -hmm. and you just need to understand what that easy is and how it looks yeah um I would say that early on in your career, you might have some challenges. So you're going to need a mentor, someone okay. in your business and someone maybe outside your business. that That's can really give you that counsel where you can be quite open and honest. It might be harder in the earlier years, but then you're going to get to that sweet spot where you're going to be probably a bit more experienced. You might even be in a minority. Yeah. So it will be easier for you yeah do you think do you think do you think that's like that's a really interesting thing isn't it because i think that there are so many times where i find myself the single woman in a room full of men yes and of men of a certain age as well and that can be very um not necessarily intimidating but you realize that it's the you better everything you say better count (laughs) i feel like that a lot you know everything you say had better be and i think for younger kind of people coming through teams that can be really intimidating i think you know you get to the point where you're really comfortable with it but it can be really intimidating what do you think businesses should be doing more to make kind of how do we how do we shut this pay gap yeah it's it's ridiculous i think that my early career i started on the trading floor in an investment. Oh, well, you're, you're hardy as. I was like, you surrounded don't need any help. by um, amazing men and women, all races. Yeah. It was like a little village, you know, yeah. different nationalities. So I understood who was wielding power and how and why. Mm-hmm. I got that really quickly. Um, I also noticed looking, helping my boss with his emails, that he was sending one-liners. He wasn't even like doing the whole, hey, how was the weekend? It? <laughs> it was like, did you close this? Yeah. And I was like, First of all, I thought it was hilarious. And then I was like, this is amazing. When I do things on his behalf, I don't have to be nice and smiley. I can just tell someone you're not so getting that flight. Yeah. And that really helped me. That's amazing. I would say early on, I was encouraged to speak early in a meeting. Interesting. So even if it's, you know, no matter what you're going to say, yeah. just say, say something, something early. Don't wait until the end. Yeah. Um, I think also performance coaching. Mm-hmm which happens at that C-suite level, should happen at that junior level. So you think that... Part of your grad program. So you think teams, marketing teams should be really looking at kind of investing in those junior members. And I think, because that's where your culture comes from, isn't it? 100%. That's that's so important. And for a scale-up, that question of culture, maintaining a culture from what you started, evolving it so that it can be, you know, all the things it has potential to be, does it get in its own way? How are you navigating that? Oh, it's, it's, um, 
And as you can hear, it's challenging yeah. because you've got so many people coming in. You need to give them time to bed down so that they can be successful. Yeah. For them to be successful, they need to understand um, the culture of the business. Yeah, We are still looking at that ourselves internally and saying, you know, is, is it clear? It? What yeah. is the roadmap? Do people get it? We're looking at things like our all hands, how we can make that more inclusive and interesting, like a learning place. How can people learn more about the culture there? Um, people haven't seen each other, right? We're hiring people. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's right? crazy, isn't it? And you've got that friction as well. I would say that it's ever-changing. But if you can, as a marketer, you know, treat your employees like customers, mm, I would say. Really, really invest in them, whether that's, you know, diversity, whether that's doing sessions on self-care, sessions on how do I save my pension. There are so many things that you can influence yeah. as a marketing team. And we see so many things like Monzo. We saw the three-month sabbatical that they've yep. put out. Yeah. Um, there were so many things that we see externally that we can bring in to yeah. leaders and say, just want to let you know that these guys are doing this. And I think you've got yeah. really good rope on that, don't you? Because yeah. there are brands like Monzo and it's like, it's going, okay, you know, FinTech, we're going to do a four day week or whatever. Yeah, Atom Bank, yeah. Uh, and, and so in a way, you're kind of allowed to really push the envelope yes. where other people in marketing in different sectors 100% are not. They're yes. kind of dragging those old rocks around. Whereas if you show <laughs> up and of course, you know, you have something... D- I would assume something innovative to try. Yeah. You're getting quite a receptive audience. I there. would say so because a lot of the time, people, everyone needs help. Everyone is super busy, right? Yeah. So HR, yeah. they're trying to hire people. They're looking at the culture. They're looking at Glassdoor, and sometimes there's no space for innovation. Yeah. So you need to be that innovative person and say, "Yeah, hey, what's the employee engagement plan? Do, do you want to run it past me from a PR perspective? Yeah, is there exactly. anything that I, you know, when we look at touch points, there are touch points internally that you can rock it." Just literally by saying, well, why don't we do it this way? Or why don't we send a voice note? Or why don't we, you know, yeah. there's so many cool things that you can do. And I think right now with everything that's happening in the world, there is an opportunity to test. And if it doesn't work, you just pull it out. And then start again. Do you know what? For the yeah. last 30 minutes, I've been watching you guys rap. It's fantastic. <laughs> Normally, I'm a little bit more vocal than this. But today, it's just like... Don't need to. Put my feet up. Put your sun lounger. Don't care who she is. I kept checking to thinking watch. that he's going to no? do this in a minute. Like the wind-ups. Stop no, no, talking. Oh, really it's good conversation. So, good, so, so many much good more Yeah, I think we need to go for lunch. I do too. A good, um, a good lunch. I'll have to use my plio card. Oh, I don't want to see it. <laughs> then it's on Sol. Yeah, Yeah, there's so much there. I started writing down some of the takeaways as I tend to do during these. I got to, I got to ten and I stopped. Oh, that's good (laughs) because I kept thinking. I know. Give them something. There's so so many, and and we're still on this. So, dear listener, you have a feast of things today (laughs) to take away. Um, I think we're going to summarise those after we finish. But, but literally, there's so much there that it's hard, I think, to um, to to summarise it now. This episode is sponsored by Selby Anderson, the agency group that helps businesses operating in complex markets win the future. Selby Anderson's agencies serve global clients in financial services, enterprise tech, channel, industry, utilities, pharmaceutical and biotech. If you want to win the future, find out more at selbyanderson.com. I just want to spin a little bit towards because this has been wide ranging, and yeah. I think some of those points are really no, but really well made, and I, and I think you know this is a really strong podcast for anyone who's in a scale up and and doesn't or is joining one and doesn't know what to expect. Yeah, I'm quite keen to hear your view of the future. Yeah, where you think our business is going, how you think people like us can contribute to future business success. Yeah, definitely. I think the future is exciting. If we're looking at things that are happening in the metaverse, for example, and all of those companies lining up NFTs, you know, the Salesforce um, employees, you know, didn't want anything to do with NFTs and they really pushed back on it. I think community is going to be super important. And if we, if I think about community, I think about my family and school and school friends. And if we look at what happened in lockdown, um, a lot of that was taken away from people. So we know that we've got a whole two years of kids that are 14 to 16 that haven't been back to school. Mm. And that concerns me. And I think it's a con- it's a community concern, but also a community opportunity to do something 
to reach those people. And where do you think brands stand in that? I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. this is the thing. So the business has a responsibility. This is it. There's yeah. an expectation yeah. the business is going to play a role now, exactly. right? Exactly. Absolutely. It's, it's a it's civic responsibility for brands yes. is not a maybe or a nice to have. It's not an ESG or CSR thing. It's a how are you actively contributing to improving this world? Yeah. And ha- what is that like for you guys? Yeah. Well, we are having conversations about community now. Right. Like, what does it look like? Let's not just rush and put community on our website yeah. as a click through. Let's work out what do you want it to be. And for me, it's a club. Like, If I go to a club, if I was part of a club, how do I want the behavior to be? Yeah. Who do I want to be around yeah. me? What do I want to hear? What time should it close? Who owns it? Mm-hmm. And these are all the things I feel you want to answer before you go. I think if you look at things like Salesforce with Dreamforce or if you look at Zero, they've got communities so many unofficial communities that are almost more popular than Than the original communities and they endorse those. So I just feel it has to be, you can have like a brand building community, but then you can have something that is less brandy and feels a lot more authentic. Um, It feels as if community manager is a new role that we is new. We haven't seen that before. Maybe you might've been membership services or it just feels as if, brand then obviously you've got the official platforms you've got linkedin you've got so um instagram etc you've got tiktok and then you've got the official communities which sit underneath you know a brand if you look at what gymshark have done with you know their amazing blogs and the local athletes it's understandable you feel part of it it feels real and you you can also contribute yeah and i just think a lot of the look at the conversation that we're having today and you know I'm thinking oh you know she was in my business imagine what we would do and I think some of the best people you meet are outside your business oh without question so community gives you the opportunity to bring them all together and that does strike me for your brand particularly I was thinking about this in terms of obviously the SME the great and and wonderful SME who we've done so much work with and so much data on and understanding how they work is so fundamental because I think and this is where big banks have really failed they haven't understood I mean a myriad of failures but this particular yeah. failure is they haven't understood how SMEs really operate what's motivating them that that, that founder has this kind of consistent fear about certain things mm-hmm. I think you guys can really be a brand in the space who, who demonstrates that white that white space about owning and understanding SMEs at a gut level yeah. at a behavioural psychology level at a really like actions and motivators because God knows they're looking for help and advice and we know they are the data shows that they're out there hunting for it but they're not finding something a brand that looks like them reflecting them back and that has things to add it's all like Barclays Digital Angels and stuff like this things that don't necessarily resonate and I think you know SME has been through the trenches like if you look at the yeah. the, the loans that they had yeah, to go no, through totally. and all of that process and people losing their business that they've put so much money into and then you know needing to scale but not really knowing well, what apps do I need what tech do I really need to they do need this hand. and that's that's it and I think providing an authentic place where people can come and ask questions people can be rewarded as well for you know being part of the community but it also doesn't have to just be a space online it can be an event it can be a breakfast that you host every month bringing together top talent senior talent you know you can bring together you know your Mercedes your Gymsharks you can bring your top revenue generating accounts in a room let's talk about the problems that you guys are facing now okay you've scaled okay you're making serious money what's what are the things that are bothering you you know we've already done this and you know our vcs are in the room too so let's Mm. have that conversation so i think you don't have to start big you could start really small for a scale up and say hey i'm going to email 50 people i'm going to start a community and i want you to join and tell us what you want it's so funny that you say that it's so funny literally i have just done this i've just literally decided that we're going to have this dangerous woman club and you 100 percent now have to be a member yeah you can be a supportive man dangerous dangerous supportive man i'm highly supportive and i'm a man of a 
surnames as well. <laughs> you are indeed. But at least it, I, I rarely see you in a gilet, though, so that's something. That's true. Yeah. I never want to see a gilet again. <laughs> yeah, they, they have, they're scarring. They're oh scarring. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, ladies, enough of that. Yeah, enough. Dangerous women. Dangerous yes. women. Look, Invited. Like I want to know. Also a very valued now member of the Unicorny community. Very exciting. So, Tom, thank you very much thank indeed you. for that. I, I feel like I don't want this to stop, but I think we have to. We have to, It's going yeah. to be the longest podcast in history. So, <laughs> so I'm going to put you on the spot to finish, though, because I've got 10. I said I wrote down 10 takeaways. I'm going to rattle through them. I'd like you to pick your number one. Okay. Okay. Lean on your funders for PR, number one. Number two, focus on your product, but not till it's ready. Number three, employer branding is really important. Number four, be prepared to say no. Number five, make sure you're measuring because measurement matters. Number six, make sure you can act locally. Number seven, lots of stuff that pitches itself as thought leadership isn't. Number eight, focus on what works right now, physical works. Number nine, you have to be at peace with uncertainty and change if you're in a scale-up. And number 10, don't let the momentum gap get too big or things start to fail. Right, there's 10. That's just 10. There were another 10. <laughs> wow. But those are 10 of the takeaways we have from today's conversation. People if are getting one, gold today. They're getting gold. Piece, it's awesome. They are, yeah. If there's one piece of advice, what would it be? I would say number nine. Okay. A hundred percent. Is that you yeah. as well? Yeah, it was. I was thinking about no I was yeah. thinking about learn to say no but then it was no 100% number nine yeah definitely you and I think you have to be at peace with change and uncertainty yeah yeah. be comfortable with being uncomfortable as you 100%. said 100% yeah. and it's totally fine it's like you know when I was in banking everything was a little bit slower and it was fine and you knew you knew what was going to happen at certain points of the year it's just much more of a roller coaster and you've got to just you've got to get lean in on don't you got to love it. it exactly I think yeah that's it Fabulous. Thank you. Thank you very much. Wow. I don't know what to say. <laughs> She's great, that isn't was, she? Honestly, sitting back watching the chemistry between you two was was extraordinary. And, it, you know, I'm not, I'm often, sorry, I'm seldom lost for words. This, this is the truth. But on this occasion, I just realised it was time to butt out. Oh. Anyway, so look, um, just before we finished, yeah. I asked... Um, for the number one takeaway. And I only really wrote down 10 and there are more and I'm sure people can take their own out. But I just want to run through those again yes. uh, with you, Samantha. So number one, we started out again, just we came straight out of the stalls really strong. If you're in a scale-up, lean on your funders and their PR teams. That's really interesting. And I've never heard a scale-up say that, actually. I think that's really, really... Because obviously we're always looking as an agency to join up with the other agencies that are working on it. But I think that's a great takeaway if you're a business that's just got new investors and lean on the resources that your investors have if they're willing to let you lean on them. That's that's vital information, actually. I think also the investors, they'll have a different network. And, Absolutely. and a lot of their network may also be direct. So, yeah. and, and I think, you know, so when I was starting out in business, one, one, a conscious decision was always to try and stand on the shoulders of people either bigger or more influential than yeah. you. And so if you've got a funder that's active in market, you may also find they can amplify it a lot. Totally. So, and I think a lot of people are looking for that from their investors and maybe don't get it as much as they'd like. So now they can, you know, reach out with confidence and look for it. That, I mean, awesome start. And, and then we, we came straight on. So we've, we've already heard in this series and some of the recordings we've, we've had, um, people say, you know, when I arrived at the company, there was too much of a product focus. Here we've got exactly the opposite, which is do focus on your product, but not till it's ready. Yeah, which is fascinating, which again is so interesting. And I think the, almost the holy grail in some respects for a starting up business or a scaling up business, because everyone wants to go faster all the time, right? It's the nature of the creatures that are attracted. We know this to small businesses. Businesses, is that you want to go faster but the fact that they that she and they are willing to make sure that they have product to back it up is really impressive i think well that's everything isn't it i think we didn't talk too much about culture actually but i think that you know she can clearly tell and knows that culture is the thing on which your business success really does lie and everyone you know is so focused often on the outside and about new business and new leads it's very easy to neglect the culture and then you turn around and you actually haven't got a business that can sustain the growth you might be bringing into it and um Culture is the operating system of the business. After all, it's it's what you do. It's how you behave. It's not what you say, right? Absolutely. It's the DNA. Yeah. Good. Okay. 
being prepared to say no. I love that. And that's really hard. And I think a lot of us find it hard to say no, actually. But then some of us find it very easy. You find it quite easy to say no, don't you? I'm quite good at saying no. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't always, um, you look, I used to be a yes man for a very long time. And the reality is, you know, it's, it's easy to say yes. And if I can say yes, often I will. <laughs> Um, unless it really matters. And I think that was what we were drawing out was that you've got to pick your fights. Yes, totally. Um, totally. So, but, but sometimes you do need to have the moral courage and the conviction actually to say no and stick to yeah. everything. And it's an interesting thing from an agency perspective because I'm always encouraging the team to really be very vocal when they don't think something's going to work because clients rely on us for that expert counsel. Otherwise, what are we there for? So just saying yes to everything they ask for is not the best thing for them, not the best thing for the agency and ultimately won't get the best results. But it's a hard thing to teach and learn. It is. And actually, it's one of those things also when you get into a leadership position to be careful what you what you, what you wish for. Now, I, I quite like it when I get pushback from people. <laughs> and, and I encourage and I Well, you may know I encourage it because I like that whole kind of rebel thinking bit. But not everyone does. No, so, absolutely. Fact, a lot of people don't like it when people say no to their face. But I, I don't, if there's a good reason, I don't mind it. So, OK, moving on to number five, we discussed measurement. Measurement. It's, it's been around forever, this issue. It's terrible. You know, until we really do design a way to measure that is much more accurate, which can be done with various different kind of AI and data components and bringing in behavioral psychology and layering it up. And then we confirm there is an index by which we're measuring that is standardized. Once we do that, we're, we're home and dry. But until then, it is going to be the perpetual albatross yeah. of comms people because sales teams want to see numbers because they see numbers all the time. So you put numbers next to them because they speak that language and then they're like, oh yeah, okay, we're doing okay. But they don't know what it means really. And I think education over just sticking numbers next to things would be so much more beneficial. But so many businesses, our clients, so many of them are beholden to get taking those numbers and those arbitrary numbers stay, you know, in place to be measured against other things within the business. Yeah, and I've been I've been active in a few threads on LinkedIn about this because there are I'm afraid to say it's PR professionals who are bemoaning the fact that PR doesn't have a place at the boardroom because they're not measuring like performance marketers. Well, duh, it's yeah. not performance marketing, right? A hundred percent. It's a more subtle art than that, and branding isn't an an immediate fix. And anyway, this whole thing about return on investment, it, it it's not an investment. An investment is a financial thing you do in order to get a return. Yeah. Investment in your brand can't be measured that way. No, you can't you can't at all. you can't turn what effectively is a qual into a quant and it be anything other than arbitrary. And the problem is that over the last decades, there has been a lot of attempts at doing that yeah. qual to quant, and that has made it, a lot of it look ridiculous. Yeah, pseudoscience. It's bullshit, isn't it? It's and everyone's kind of very, very worn out by it, and then you end up with a credibility gap. And I think that PR really struggles with that credibility gap, and that's why it doesn't sit at the C-suite table often, because people don't associate it with serious, grown-up people who are strategic. Yeah. Yeah, a, it's a, we could talk about this. One. <laughs> it's very close to my heart too. But let, let's move on to number six. Act local. That's an interesting one. And the community one is an interesting one as well, isn't it? Because for a brand like theirs, you would expect that they don't want to act local at this time. Yeah. You would expect that they will want to be really going global, going national, really kind of embracing the speed with which they can grow. So that's an interesting thing. And I, I, I don't know if that comes from inside the business or, or inside HERF specifically, but I think that that community question and what role businesses have to play in civic society, particularly for fintech brands, is a really, really poignant one. What but what are they going to mean? We're also doing it at scale, right? So acting oh, local for case. small business is fine. But yeah, the speed they're going, the size they are. Yeah. So acting local at scale and at that speed, I think is really interesting. I think a side point I made on on that was about, uh, which I really relate to as well, is about the is about time elasticity. That, yeah. you know, sometimes you, you think it's important to get everything done today and then suddenly four weeks have gone and the business hasn't suffered. Absolutely. So, so, so time... Sometimes you need to get things done quickly. Sometimes you don't. And and yeah. again, it's that is that sort of dichotomy between local global. It's like quick, slow. Yeah, they're, they're, they're and they like, have to run together, don't they? They yeah. have to. And you, I think, as an individual, I'm perpetually reading Adam Grant's books and trying to figure out how I run my like my fast and my slow together, and how I have disciplined days and how you structure things. And 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 I, you know, it's like we plan and God laughs in that respect. It just it can go out the window so quickly. But when you are responsible for a brand. And you can't turn around and look back at the last six months and realise, oh, but I got, I did everything on my to-do list, yeah. but we're nowhere. Yeah, yeah, 
No, wise words. Wise words, Samantha. Speaking of wise words and thought leadership, number seven was lots of thought leadership just isn't leadership. It's me too. Which is really interesting, isn't it? Because I think that that's so... Everyone has decided that you have to have a voice in order to be making... And everybody is so busy making a lot of noise instead of potentially considering much more carefully what that noise is trying to telescope what the value of that noise is what what are you trying to provoke in a conversation are you having a conversation or are you just you know telephonically yelling things at people and i think thought leadership has to evolve because it can't just be you know endless white papers and reports and data and all of this stuff it has to be human it has to be interactive it has to offer something that people don't have I think maybe this comes back to community as well, because like not everyone can be a leader by no. definition, right? So if everyone's doing thought leadership, it isn't leadership. Smart people shouldn't want to be leaders, frankly, because it's a bore. But community is maybe, maybe community is about, and maybe that maybe that plays a lot more to the zeitgeist as well at the moment, which is which is more about collaboration and mm-hmm. you know lack of hierarchy and every, you know everyone having a voice. Yeah. So maybe community replaces the concept of thought leadership. And I think also alongside that that we need to totally reconstruct what networking is. Because I think that um, it's gotten lost into certain things that people consider to be, you know, like the classic, you go into a big room with 200 people and you don't know any of them, you work the room, the ones that can't work the room sort of sit on the edge, instead of those much smaller, tighter groups where you start with people who are actually, you know, your intellectual equal, your equal in terms of company, your equal in terms of interests, even if they've never met each other before, how much easier to have a conversation at a 10 person dinner than to be shunted into some room? And, yeah. you know with a badge and told off you go yeah so I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember first tuesday they were ghastly events. exactly that <laughs> two or three hundred people in right. the room all hustling holding warm wine yeah where are you from <laughs> what are you here for and they were dreadful things yeah no so yeah please I, I agree with you i would support your campaign to change networking forever for smaller more intimate more meaningful groups good campaign perfect starts here. great <laughs> uh speaking of which it leads on naturally to right now physical working Yes, and interesting, right? For physical working. I, I It's funny, I was slow about this because I, I find as a person who is highly introverted, even though no one would ever know that, that um, I really enjoyed working from home. It meant I had a lot of quiet time. You're not sort of, you know, they, people can't come and grab you all the time. But a couple of weeks ago, we'd been, been back in the office three days a week and I started to really feel like, okay, I remember why I liked coming here. I remember why this was always my kingdom. I remember why this is good. And I just think we... It's, it's a human psychology thing, isn't it? We've gotten yeah. so adept at doing one thing and change, nobody likes it. And we yeah. now we're asking them to slide the rule about the other way. It's almost like you've done this before, <laughs> Samantha, because you've just led us nicely into the next point, which was the, uh, the key takeaway. Having to be in a scale-up, having to be at peace. Now, maybe not just in a scale-up, maybe that's business at the moment. Unless you work for one of these very large, very hierarchical companies, yeah. you, you kind of have to be at peace with change and uncertainty I if think you, you do. want to get on. Yeah, I think you do. And I think that the reality of being uncomfortable, being comfortable being uncomfortable, is something that actually should be taught in schools. Is something that should be really like, how useful is your trigonometry to you now? I bet you pass an exam in it, but when was the last time you used it? But actual transferable skills about how you navigate businesses, how you get yourself into a position where you're comfortable with the uncomfortable, how you deal with people who are more senior, less senior. All of those things are really a challenge, I think. And the more you can be like, okay, there's a stone in my shoe, (laughs) but I'm going to walk with it there anyway, the better. Okay. Finally, this is going to be our longest podcast ever, but I think some of the content's just fantastic. So I don't think we're going to edit any of it out. We're just going to leave it. And if you if you don't, if you haven't got to this bit, you've missed out. Um, <laughs> finally, not you know this is a, this this is something that strikes very close to my heart because when you're trying to build something and you're trying to scale at speed, yeah, there's 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 this, there's momentum, right? There's the story the outside world sees, and you're always scrabbling to keep up with it. And yeah. if that gap gets too big, particularly if you're in funding, 
you can get yourself in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Things drop away, don't they? And things that you thought that you were going to be able to hold on to, you 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 just you are not able to translate to them. And that it's a really interesting thing about readiness, isn't it? About knowing and having a strategy and a plan of when this is going to hit and so these are the things that we're going to do and even as a startup and a scale up it's so difficult to do that because you're so focused on one thing which is usually getting the money that the plan of what happens when the money starts from an ops perspective you know exactly where that money's going but from a comms perspective yeah. from a brand perspective you have to be ready too well i think you've, you've got a few different things going on so you've got the ceo and the cfo out chasing the branding telling yeah. the story so yeah. they're out on, like at the vanguard yeah then you've got ops who's dealing with the reality trying to make sure that the organization is up to speed with where the ceo yeah. and the cfo need it to be and then you've got comms trying to bridge that gap between them trying to make sure the story is consistent yeah and that everyone's saying things that are congruent and yeah I think, I think that's a really big challenge that maybe we can dig into in one of these other interviews yeah i think it is a really big challenge i think the comms component it's that bridging thing it's getting that yeah. right is actually the kind of key as long as everyone else is doing their job really well well there you go guys i you know honestly that was quite a ride and it's long and i don't apologize for that because the content's <laughs> fantastic and uh, we will see you next time we will Thank you for listening. That is the end of today's show. If you would like to subscribe to us, please do go to your favourite podcast outlet and you will find us there. If you want to be on the show, my name is Dom Hawes. Look me up on LinkedIn, connect, and I would love to talk to you. This show is put together by Selby Anderson. We find and unlock hidden value. And the show is recorded at Turnmill Studios, which you can find at turnmillstudios.co.uk. See you next time. This episode is sponsored by Selby Anderson, the agency group that helps businesses operating in complex markets win the future. Selby Anderson's agencies serve global clients in financial services, enterprise tech, channel, industry, utilities, pharmaceutical and biotech. If you want to win the future, find out more at selbyanderson.com.